All right, everybody, we're going to go ahead and get started here in a second. My name is Buster Clemens, and I'm one of the youth ministers. This is Hannah Thrasher, youth minister, Donnie Stover, youth minister. Uh, we're happy to be hosting this along with the marriage ministry, the counseling ministry here at Highland. And uh, we want to welcome you and thank you for spending this afternoon with Mark Gregston. Uh, we had a great morning with Mark uh, today, and so he's going to just continue that on this afternoon with a lot more depth, a lot more stories, a lot more encouragement. I think in our youth ministry, two of the things that we try to do is supplement parents because, you know, we as parents are the ones responsible for raising our children. It's not the church's job to do that. It's not the youth ministry's job. It's certainly not our job. Would you want these two to parent your children? I don't think so. So, I know you don't want me. I've already done that. But parenting is hard. And going through the teenage years can be really frustrating. It can be really hard. And so what we're trying to do in youth ministry is supplement what you're doing at home, which is give your students roots and give your students wings. Give them roots in the Word so that they're grounded in God and they know God, they have a relationship in God, and it's deep. But also give them wings so that when they graduate, that they will be following Jesus and they're ready to soar on wings like eagles. And so with that faith and that desire to follow Jesus, uh, that's something our church is trying to preach and share and, and teach and model. And so I appreciate what Mark said this morning and what he's going to say this afternoon because it's real. There's nothing fake about it. It's just real life. And there was a lot of head nodding and amen and, and that's right. It was almost like he was talking to each of our families, right? Because, and I appreciate that. I appreciate him being direct and him sharing wisdom from God, wisdom from his own experiences. So uh, this afternoon, we, we have uh, restrooms out each exit. You can go this way or that way to restrooms. We have snacks and drinks in the back. Anytime you need to get something, go ahead and get that. And then Mark has his uh, book table set up back here, and I think he's going to share more about that uh, as he gets up here. But uh, we're very thankful that Mark is here, thankful that you're here. We want to pray for Mark right now, and then we'll uh, get started. Okay, let's pray. Uh, Father, we love you. We thank you for today. Thank you for the way that you bless us and care for us. I pray that you would bless this afternoon. Uh, that we can become better parents, that we can become better uh, grandparents, and just help us to, to love you more and to love our kids more. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, please welcome Mark That was Gregson. too quick. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I always take a, one Tylenol before I get up because I know you're going to give me a headache. And so, not really, not really. I just get a headache sometimes because I don't sit down. Um, how many of you guys were here this morning? Oh, wow, so I can't tell the same jokes. That kind of, kind of blows it a little bit. But we're gonna, we'll have a good time of going through all this stuff and probably get a little bit more of the particulars. You know, when people say, uh, okay, we love the philosophy part. We love that you, ugh, I need to swallow this. I'm sorry, just now. Put a tile on your mouth, let it sit there. It doesn't do well. And, um, <clears throat> but they go, okay, come on, where does the rubber meet the road and where do the real things start to happen when I really have to deal with the stuff that, uh, that I need to deal with? And, uh, and so we're going to talk a little bit about that, but I, I want to make sure we're all caught up kind of conceptually and, and, and all that. And I, so uh, bear with me on a couple of things if I repeat it from this morning, because I want everybody to to truly understand some of the stuff, and I'll try not to repeat the jokes because they're not, they're not funny the second time around. Um, you know, I think it's, it's, it's always amazing to me when you think about um, 
you know, kids and the, and the fact that we have all said that, that, um, that we're glad that we don't have to grow up in the culture. I mean, think about it, 4.3 million porn sites. Um, that's what I prayed for when I was in the seventh grade. I just was, you know, and, and so it's come about and, and it's hard to believe that, it's truly hard to believe that there's that many naked women in the world. And um, I was at a church service once and, and this pastor had this great idea of, um, of having everybody during the service, which just wasn't good because I think a service is a little bit different than an afternoon meeting or a night meeting. I just, I'm one of those old guys that just think there's something, I don't know, somewhat of a, um, just a religious place, a place of sacredness that, that uh, I still hold to in a church service. And he decided to let everybody in the, in the church text in questions, and I was sitting in a chair, and this was during the service, but the, the issue was there was kids there also. I mean, and so it was hard for me to answer questions. And really what you do on those things, it, it's like every parent that's a nut job sends in a stupid question, and then every kid that's a, a wise um, something... Um, does the same, and, and you're kind of caught in this, in this arena of going, I'm, I'm trying to answer the question. Any question that's asked on the radio uh, from somebody, they always screen those people first. Do you know that? It's never just dial up, have somebody. I mean, they get rid of all the nutcases and, uh, before they actually get on mic. And so, so a dad sent in this, this text and just said, Mark, can you talk to all the kids here about pornography? Okay, girls, um, guys don't really want that. It's, and I was just trying to think, what can I say that doesn't, that is okay to say, that is just okay to say? And I said, guys, girls really aren't like that either. Um, those girls all live in Russia. And, um, and, uh, and I was trying to make it light and easy and just get away from it, and the next question that popped up, a man said, uh, my son wants to move to Russia, what do I do now? You know, and so, so anyway, let's take advantage of, of, of the questions. You know, but, but I don't want to start, I don't want to, I don't usually start talking about this porn thing, but, but I do think it's important for people to understand the impact that it's having on kids. What you'll find is, is that Kids are very disconnected in, in the way that they engage with one another. And, and, so the, and I made a comment about that this morning, how they just don't have that relationship. But that disconnect is, is somewhat difficult when you have a child that, that has been created to be a relational being. God's created them that way. They're supposed to relate with somebody else. And you had, so you have these young ladies that are blossoming early earlier than they did when it was later. But, I mean, the girls have been starting their period you know, like 10 years early every, I'm sorry, a month early every 10 years since the 1700. So now we got the, all these young ladies that, that are kind of coming out in this, in this appearance and performance world where they're realizing who they are. And you, you see them in middle school. There weren't kids that looked like that in the seventh grade when I was in the seventh grade. Well, there was one girl. And, uh, 
Her name was Edna Smiley. Is Edna here? <laughs> she flunked four times, and so she was a little beyond her years and stuff, and, and, but didn't have it. And so, so now these young guys, kids in middle school, have access to 4.3 million sites to find anything there is. These young ladies have a longing to connect and be, yeah, and be relational like they've always been relational and wanting that. And so the guys start making comments, hey, send me pics of you, send me pics of... And if you ever think for a moment that your child might not ever do that, you are wrong. You're wrong. They, you know, more, more pictures are taken every two seconds in the U.S. than were taken all of the 1800s, which is amazing. I mean, everybody's got a camera. It's a seductive world, a lack of connection. And that's what I want people to understand when you, when you start to think about the impact the culture is having on kids. It's put our kids in a horrible spot. That's why you, you're not going to like this. That 40, the, the, the Center for Disease Control did a study three years ago, and you can look it up online, they do it every year, they, they assess the risky behaviors of adolescents. And they ask things like, do you wear a helmet when you're on a bike? Do you wear knee pads on a skateboard? Have you ever, you know, driven in a car when the driver's drunk? When you smoke cigarettes, do you not use the filters? Have you ever, you know, done this? And add all the, they ask a million different questions, any risky behavior of teens. And what they found was is that 42% of girls and 46% of guys between the ages of 15 and 17 in the last six months have engaged in oral sex. Now, to me, if you just cut those numbers in half, that's still a huge population. So let's cut them in half again. That is a huge population. And when you get the idea, that means that all oh, it's all your kids. And you think about that, and it shows the desperation of young people to connect with one another. Are you following me? And so my comment has always been, because the tendency is, let's, let's isolate our kids and make sure they, they aren't exposed to any of this stuff. And I don't think that's the way to go. Because what happens when we do that, we isolate them, and then we thrust them into the normalcy of an environment that's going to chew them up a little bit, and they, don't, they haven't, you know, they haven't exercised those decision-making muscles enough to be able to not fall for something, and they've been so disconnected that now they want to connect. Now they just do stupid things. Out of the 3,000 kids that have lived with us, a third of them have been homeschooled. A third, and I'm not against homeschooling. and we homeschool all the kids there at Heartlight now. A third of them have been adopted and a third are Southern Baptists. And uh, <laughs> so if you're a Southern Baptist that's homeschooling your adopted child, we have an application pack for you back in the back because we're pretty much sure you're headed that way. And that's not anything negative. Don't hear that. I'm not, I, I think we get homeschooling backwards a little bit. And, and it's backwards because what we ought to be doing is exposing them to things. And then during the early years, let them go to public school and then bring them home in 10th and 11th grade, then have fun with them rather than the other way around because now the social issue becomes so strong. And I guess what I'm saying is, is that I have seen the kindest, sweetest, most Christ-centered girls do things that are so bizarre 
that it's no different from your kids and it shows the, the, just the, the desire that they have to make these connections in their life. And so that's what we deal with. And most of our girls, as, I, as, I told, as I've told you, have all grown up in the church. They have great parents. They have great backgrounds. All our guys are the same way. They're good kids. They, they know the difference between right and wrong, but they've just started making choices. But most of those choices are based upon either trauma in their life, the World Trade Center, uh, the space shuttle blowing up, the shootings down in Fort Lauderdale, the Newtown shootings up in uh, Connecticut, I guess. And uh, we get all those kids, and uh, our sisters or brothers of them. Some trauma thing has happened, or there is some sense that they're missing out on life, and so they engage to, to try to fill that void in their own life. No child is immune to that because every one of them has been created to be relational. And I think that's important to understand just from the very get-go uh, of all of this, that, that, um, that when we talk about dealing with kids, the component that you hold that is so important is the ability to form a relationship that is different than any other relationship in their life. You will determine who they marry. You will determine your grandkids. You will be the one that, that will be the one that, that, that kind of allows the personality and their character to develop. It's a huge undertaking, but don't feel like it's so hard because it's not everything that you say, like I said this morning. It's more about who you are. It's more about your example that you set, and it's how you engage with them. As I said, that that Christian withness. Remember I said that this morning? Was anybody here this morning and listen to that? There's something about withness. Now, as a man, that was, you know, I've always been told, I always thought that a spiritual leader of the home would, you know, have daily devotions and, you know, you'd, you know, us guys just kind of run out of that stuff sometimes. There was a young man that came to us and, and uh, I say he was a young man, I met him when he was in high school, but now he's at the Mayo Clinic and, and, uh, and he said, man, I just struggle finding the right stuff to, to, uh, to have daily devotionals with my kids. And so we're kind of stuck still doing the VeggieTale thing. Doug, how old are your kids? Well, they're 17, boys, 17, 15, and 13. You're doing VeggieTales with them? Yeah, I kind of let them watch it, then I write some concepts on a whiteboard. I go, no wonder they're smoking pot. Just the thought of it <laughs> makes me want to smoke pot. You've got to be kidding me. That is bizarre because now as, as in the adolescent years, it's not, about, it's not about what you say. It is truly about who you are with them and the withness and the way that you engage with them. And that becomes important. I said this this morning, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The reason you hide scriptures, you learn to, to love differently. You to learn to love in ways that are far beyond, that are truly far beyond what you've ever had before. It's not restricting and doing all the crazy stuff. I'm one of those guys that says you ought to be giving, be giving them more and more control of their life, not taking it away from them. And you and I as Christians have an amazing way of being way too strict. We're way too strict. And so as a result, our kids don't mature quite as fast. 
and they don't engage quite as fast or as they need to, and they don't deal with some things that they need to deal with. It's kind of like antibacterial soap. I'm not a believer in antibacterial soap. I don't use it. I don't use it. Most people have like a 10-second rule when food falls on the, on the ground. Mine's like an hour and a half. You know, I'm, I'm pretty much, it can fall and just kind of sit there and mold for a while, and, and I'd be okay with it. But anyway, as we go through this, you know, the other thing I want you to know, too, is, is that, you know, my background has been living with kids uh, all along while I was a youth minister at a church. We had three or 400 kids in the youth group. I left and was an area director at a camp called Camp Canacuck in, in uh, Branson, Missouri, and I was also the area director for Young Life. And, and then I left that, and we started Heartlight 30 years ago. So for those that don't know what I do, I really run a place for kids, and it's for them and their families that we have 60 high school kids that live with us. And, and so now we've had a buttload come with, and you can say buttload because it's a Hebrew term. And, uh, and so just a bunch of them. And, and, and through it all, I think what I've learned is if we're going to affect the lives of kids, we've got to do it in such a way that lasts, that it isn't just something that they conform to while they're with us, but that when we're sitting at their wedding five and ten years later, that, that there's a sense of no regret and we truly have built strong relationships with them. If you have a discipline problem, you have a relationship problem. At the very core of it, you have a relationship problem. Okay, you follow me so far? But what I want to do is go through this. And I, and I want you guys to know this too. I, uh, I don't get paid for doing this. Uh, this is, I, I, I don't. We charge for it. And, but that money goes to the Heartlight Foundation to create more books and resources and, and all that stuff. But I don't get paid to do this. I don't get paid to do radio. And I don't benefit from the sale of any books. I write books, but I don't, it doesn't matter to me. So, so I'm going to tell you that there's different books that I'm going to suggest that you get. I'm going to encourage you to get resources and sign up for different things. But if you're here and you can't afford books, I'm going to give you the books and say, I want you to take them as a gift. Um, and I, I just do. I want you to leave with some, some resources as we go through this. Okay, so the first part of this, let's, 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 let's kind of start here. There's a couple of things that I want you to see. One, don't buy this book, okay? Because all you have to do is text parent to 66866 and you'll get the download of the book. It's interesting that it's a, it's a great book. It has a chapter in it that I just eliminated in the, in the next printing of it just because it's a, it's a volatile topic. And I've just said, why don't we just eliminate it and not talk about it because it, it does too much. And so that new book will be coming out. And I read the book um, two weeks ago before we turned it back over to the printer. And I thought, it's truly the best book I think I've written. Um, it's just, it's, just one of the, it's just one that tells stories, but it really offers a, uh, stories of hope and encouragement to parents who are struggling with their kids or think they might be struggling with their kids. So, with their kids. so we want to give that to you. The other thing is there's, there's a course back here in a box. If you want to purchase that to, um, for a Sunday school or a church or something, you can do that, but don't buy it personally because we'll give it to you. And it's just, it's called the freeparentingcourse.com. Go there, and it's the same exact series that uh, kind of follows the book Tough Guys and Drama Queens. It's a little bit different. We just filmed two more curriculum series, really three more. One is called um, Raising Teens in a Contrary Culture, and it just came out. It's back here. 
Another, another one is, um, I don't know whether it's back here or not, it's called Leaving a Legacy of Hope, but it's for grandparents. We filmed it at uh, Amy Grant's um, farm and um, uh, in her barn, and, uh, and it's really a cool, a cool deal. And, and we'll eventually give those away as well to individuals. We're just, we're just waiting. And we just filmed another thing, but I can't remember the title of it, last week. I don't know what it's called. But it's good. It's really good. <laughs> so anyway, there's that. Sign up for the newsletter that we get, and it's articles. A lot of the questions that you might have, um, you're going to find that they will be uh, answered in a lot of articles we already have. And of course, I'm going to tell you about an app and all that stuff. Let me, let me hit this, because I, 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 I want to talk about what's different about the culture, and just hit on it for a little while, and then talk about shifting our parenting styles, because I touched on that a little bit this morning. And, and people always ask a bunch of questions about that, but it's just engaging with your child differently. And what, and, and what I'm asking is, is, you know, it's not so much that, that you just change everything all of a sudden in your home. Um, anybody here in the oil business? Any do any oil? Ever change your oil on a car? There you go. Uh, I grew up in West Texas and um, uh, in Midland. I lived there for 10 days, and we lived in 50 different uh, little towns all over West Texas. My dad was on a seismograph crew, and they would, they, you know, you drill a big hole, and you blow up a stick of dynamite, and you watch the sound waves and where it comes, and it determines where the oil is, and, and uh, that's how they used to do it back then. So, so you know, it was just... Um, it always amazed me about oil. Then I, w then I lived all over Texas, and then we moved to the Gulf Coast, and then moved to the Louisiana coast, where all the offshore drilling was. And so I lived in Houma, Lafayette, and, uh, and then eventually grew up in New Orleans, and left that, and then moved to Oklahoma, which was the oil capital. The thing that's always amazed me about oil, and how they drill for it and everything else, is is that they can drill straight down. Those bits are about this big, and they've got this huge pipe on it spinning, and they're huge bits, and they, they can drive two, drill two or three miles down. And they go two or three miles down, and then they can turn that bit and place that bit three miles away through a four-by-four-foot frame. They're going three miles down and three miles out. And the thing that I was always thinking, well, how do they bend that thing? You know how they do it? They wobble it. And they, as it's drilling, it goes down, but then they just wobble it. And then over a period of 900 to 1,000 feet, it turns and it starts going the other way. It changes the direction. Do you know how much they wobble it? 1%. And you're going, why in the world is that important? Because I'm not asking you to make huge changes to your family. I would tell you that you can make little 1% changes and it'll change the direction of your family. Just 1% changes. Listen to what I say. Pick out a few things. You know, I mean, it, all the dads were going, okay, okay. My wife's just got to hush and we'll be okay. Um, I'll tell that story again in a while where everybody knows what I'm talking about. Dad's got to quit trying to fix everything. I'm going to repeat that phrase. There's nothing you can do to make me love you more. There's nothing you can do to make me love you less. I mean, those are just little things. And those alone, in some cases, can change the direction of a family. It's very small things. It doesn't have to be that complicated.
The problem is that most of us come to parenting seminars once things are already spinning out of control or we anticipate something going a little bit awry. Or if you're a parent of a preteen, you are scared to death about what's coming. Every kid at Heartlight, it all starts in middle school. And so don't think, oh, no, they're fine. I call middle school the princess brawl. It's where all our little princesses go to school and wear their little tiaras and, you know, they've left their princess pillows and drapes and, you know, all that stuff. And they go and they find out the world immediately has become imperfect. And that changes the way that they now view the world. They've been exposed to it. It's just different. It's usually when they start getting phones. And we'll talk about that because I think that kids ought to get phones at eight and nine years old. And I'll tell you why in a minute. And if I, if I don't bring it up, somebody asked me that. But let's first go through this. What's so different about the culture? And this is going to be quick because we've already gone through 30 minutes and I'm going to finish this session in 28 and we'll take a little bit of a break. The first thing, they're exposed to everything. And they're exposed to so much that they're losing a sense or a concept of of, of people in authority around them. What's the first word that comes to your mind when you think of the word priest with all due respect to the Catholic Church? In, what, about in, what about in Pennsylvania? I was in Pennsylvania, in Lancaster County, and, and uh, I said, what comes to everybody's mind? What comes to a kid's mind when they hear the word coach? What's the first thing that comes to mind when they think of Ferguson, Missouri? What's the first thing that comes to a kid's mind when they hear the word politician? Do you see how everybody in their life has been trashed in some way or the other? And because they're exposed to so much, they, they don't know what to believe. I mean, for kids to really go, no, I believe everything, you know, on the internet. Well, you're nuts if you do. But there's a part of it where I go, they're exposed to so much that it changes the way that they engage with us. And a lot of that has to do with that information and wisdom. And I said it this morning, and it bears saying it again, that information turns over now every hour and a half. The amount of codified information that is available to us all doubles every hour and a half. Next year, it will double instantaneously. And what that means is, is that if you are one that is... Truly, if you are one that is just always spouting information, then your kids will shut you down just like when I get on Fox News or looking at Facebook and there's so much information, I just can't take it anymore. You know where you go, I, I, I need a break. Have you ever seen anybody on Facebook and, they, and you just say, I need, a, I need a break? Or somebody says, I need to stop. I mean, I grew up with three channels. Two of them really worked. The other one did if you put aluminum foil on the rabbit ears. And some people know what that is, but most don't. And uh, I mean, the three channels. I have over 900 channels now. I have access to every kind of streaming there is. I can watch any movie at any time. I don't know how musicians are making money with music when I can pay nine bucks and listen to every piece of music there is in the world. You know, it's just different. They're overloaded. They're exposed to everything. They get it. But if all I'm doing is sharing information as a parent, it works very well in this part, the first 12 years of a child's life. Because this is the teaching model, and you want information. It's, it's perfect, and it's information. But here it doesn't work, this 12 to 19. 
This is where kids get to the point and they go, I want you to tell me why the things that I, you've taught me here apply to the world that I live in here. And most of us, as parents, are trying to get our kids to live in our world rather than allowing, and hear this, the Word to become flesh and dwell among them. Are you following me? I didn't mean we're Jesus. I didn't, I didn't say that. But we, when we allow the Word of God to flesh itself out in the lives of our kids so that they can hold on to the life that they've known back here without rejecting that. And somebody goes, well, it's not that big of a deal. It is that big of a deal when 85% of kids are leaving the church upon graduation and they don't come back until 28 or 29. So there is something about the way that we engage. And I think that it's this exposure thing. It's how we engage with them because what they're wanting more than anything else is wisdom. And it just means I engage differently. It means that I've got to quit just spouting off what I think is right and start engaging in thinking. Even a fool appears wise when he keeps his mouth shut. I've got to be thinking through, okay, what's the application in this? Not just the teaching. Not just, hey, don't have sex. Well, there's like a billion other people out there telling them it's okay. Don't send nude pictures of yourself. Well, there's 32% of girls that are. That's a third of all kids, your kids included, that are sending inappropriate pictures. You know, and, and, and it's, that's where they get permission. Because they're exposed to all that as well. I mean, it's, it's amazing to me when, when, you, when you look at what they're exposed to and the way they engage that the difficulty isn't that a child doesn't believe that their relationship with Christ is important. They don't know how to apply it to a culture that's spinning out of control. That's why you have a ton of questions, a ton of questions about how do we do this internet thing? How do we do that? Because we're all pioneer parents when it comes to that. It hit us the same time that it hit our kids. Did you ever think it was going to be like this? patent lawyer in 1898 said, I think we ought to shut down the patent office. Everything that can be invented already has been. 1898. And the thing is, if we don't adapt now, it's just going to keep going more and more. I did a film with Kirk Cameron uh, last year, and it was called Connect. And, and he asked a bunch of people, to, four or five people to come in that can give perspectives on on how we manage that with our kids because they're exposed to everything. Because we're fearful that they're going to be exposed to everything. Aren't you? Aren't you fearful of that? I mean, I, it scares me to death. But you know what? They are. They are going to be exposed. So the issue becomes not that they, whether they will be or not. I can't keep them from it. It's timing. But the other part of it is the timing's got to be based on their needs not on my ability to pull wisdom out of a situation and give them guidance and direction. Now, if you're going to write this down, wisdom comes from observation, reflection, and experience. That which I see, that which I think about, and that which I experience. And at the same time, your kids pick up wisdom through what they see, your example, through what they think about, and what they experience with you. And other people. I mean, it, I mean and, and that exposure drives them to want more. Now, it's during the time that most of us get busy. 
Isn't there somewhat of a relief when we don't have to be dragging them all over the place to every volleyball, softball, cheerleading event there is, and baseball, and, and they can kind of do it on their own? We all get busy, don't we? I would encourage you to quit doing everything for everybody else during your child's adolescent years and start focusing on your adolescent because they're only going to be home a few more years. So don't serve on every other board. Pastors and, and people just love me saying that. But your kids need you because there is no one else around. They need you desperately. My wife and I... Um, go to Cabo San Lucas uh, in Mexico. That's where I write. Um, I'll go down. Last, I spent a month writing a grandparenting book last year. I go down for two weeks. She, she spends money and eats, and, and, uh, and I sit and slave in a coffee shop, hearing the waves in the background, beating against the beach, and, but it's relaxing. I focus, and I can do those things. And so we've been going there 25 years, and... and um, so last August, a year ago August, we were getting ready to go, and, and Jan, when she travels, it's like we're going to move there for a year. I mean, she takes everything. I'm, I'm not so sure why. I mean, she packs it with stuff that she wants to give away to all the people, all the, the, the Mexican folks that we know there that, that we've become friends with, and then, then it's other stuff. She, it's like there's no food in Mexico, so you've got to pack all your own food, which is not true. And she, she, I mean, she's got four or five bags. And I fly so much. I'm on the road 200 nights a year. And, and so I always get bumped up to first class. It's on American Airlines. I've got over 6 million miles. And uh, they even let me fly the plane occasionally. And, uh, <laughs> and so, so we get to our little ticket counter in Longview, Texas at 4.30 in the afternoon. And we have two flights a day. Um, uh, one in the morning and one in the afternoon. It goes out at 4.30. And so I pull my truck up front and I'm unloading all the Jan stuff, just going, I can't believe, why all this? I have one little bag. I go, why, why do we have all this stuff? And so I get out of my truck and we go in and, and we're standing at the desk and talking to him about, and, and the lady goes, Jan, you, you got so much stuff. You got like 500 pounds. And, and I'm exaggerating. It was only like 480. And... Uh, you got all this stuff, and, and uh, I mean, it's just a, a ton of stuff. And I'm sitting there just going, uh, uh. took 30 minutes to get through, get our tickets, and then go through security. We go through security, and uh, we have to fly to Dallas first. And uh, so we fly to Dallas, and we find out our flight to Cabo is delayed like four hours. And so we go eat, and then we... You know, you just do the airport stuff, walking around, and, and, uh, and so finally at midnight, at midnight, eight hours after we really left Longview, Texas, we finally get to get on the plane. <laughs> the moment I stepped on the plane, I looked at Jan and I said, I left my truck running in front of the airport. <laughs> well, this stewardess hurt, well, you're not supposed to say stewardess. I know. And so... So she hears, and she announces to the whole plane, who's all giddy because it's now four hours late, this man left his car running in front of the airport, you know, and, and so I sit down, everybody's laughing at me, and 
So I call my daughter and I say, hey, Melissa. Um, she goes, hey, did y'all make it to Cabo yet? No, we're still in Dallas. Well, what are you calling for? Well, your mother left the car running in, in front of. And it's a perfect example that in the pursuit of what I think is valuable, or in the pursuit of what I think is important, I miss what is most valuable. And I think we do that with our kids. We get so busy sometimes, and we're all busy. There is no person in this room that's any busier than anybody else. You may be busy sleeping. You may be busy doing whatever, but nobody is busier than anybody else. We all have the same number of hours in the day. But we've gotten so busy at a time that our kids need us desperately. And it moves me on to this. If they're not going to connect with us, they're going to connect somewhere, and they're going to do whatever they can to make a connection. And that's where you see kids starting to make stupid decisions and poor choices because they have an arena for that to happen. I know kids that smoke pot <coughs> because they're countering the anxiety they have in their life. They're, they're fighting depression. I have a ton of kids say, I smoke pot because it's the only time I feel normal. I've had kids tell me, I smoke pot to get my mother's voice out of my head. It's the only time I'm on vacation. Other ones say, I smoke pot because I love the people I smoke pot with. It's connection. And if you, if you don't make a connection or they aren't making connections somewhere, they will find something. And the idea is that most people go, no, 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 kids are playing video games all the time. I mean, it's always the young boys that probably 14, 15-year-old boys that are playing video games more than anybody else. Am I right? Do you also know that the second highest suicide rate is 15-year-old boys? Girls, 15-year-old girls, it's at a 75-year high. And the, and the way that girls are committing suicide is far different than what it used to be. Now they're using guns and hanging themselves and everything because they've been exposed to everything and they hear of everything. So there's a part of it where I go... It's important to make the connection, but we, sometimes we get the program in front of the relationship. Well, you don't need to be playing video games that much. I think our kids are bored out of their mind. The other thing is, I think our young men who are visually stimulated, that's why it's always young boys that are having issues with video games, they're visually stimulated that they're also accomplishing something that they're not accomplishing in life. And that's what John Eldridge talks about in his book, Wild at Heart. They want an adventure to live, a beauty to fight for, and I can't remember the third thing. Freddie, you know what it is? A battle to fight. A battle to fight. A beauty to save and a transcendent cause. A what? Transcendent cause. A transcendent cause. Isn't that amazing? And they find it in a video game. Give that guy a free book. And, uh, and they find it in a video game. Oh, let's take it away from them. And here's the hassle. So we take it away from them where they're finding something they've been created for. And now it's, well, what do they do? Well, they, nobody ought to be watching video games. So what are we going to replace it with? I would suggest this. Us. Maybe us. Maybe we get more involved with them. 
Over-responsible parents create irresponsible kids. Here's the thing that, that, that is an issue, is that, is that you're doing too much for your kids. And the plan to, to get them to start doing things hasn't been engaged. If you have a 17-year-old son at home and you're still waking him up every morning, that mommy or daddy have to wake him up to get him out of bed, you're in trouble. So it's being intentional, saying, <laughs> people going, oh, no, we're doing that. We've got to quit doing that. You know, get him a little, like, uh, alarm clock with tasers on it. Shoot him, you know, or something. And, uh, but I mean, it, it, it's, it's this. It's that when they turn 12 and 13 right here, there's got to be a plan, a shift in our parenting style that says, I'm going to start preparing my child for the next level. I'm going to help them. I'm going to train them, survive in the jungle, rather than allowing them to be raised in the zoo. So maybe at 12, what I'm doing is you're going to start doing your own laundry. You're going to start taking care of the dog. You're going to start things that mean something. I'm not talking about making a bed. It's like the bed fairy is going to come around and, and, and I don't know what's going to happen if they don't make a bed. You know, it's, it's, it's funny to me that, that I've had kids tell me that, that my dad was more concerned. Now, these are teens. Hear that. I believe in teaching here and you show things and they do things for a purpose. But once they get up here... I'm going, I think we ought to let some things go. You've got to pick the hills you're going you're to die on. And it's not going to be the making of a bed. I had a young lady tell me, my dad's more concerned about the condition of my room than he is the condition of my heart. I had another man stand up in Austin to tell me how his daughter committed suicide. She'd lived with us eight, nine years beforehand, committed suicide, and then, her son, the, the, then his son committed suicide two months later. She was 24 and, and 22. And he goes, um, and he stood up at a, at a fundraiser we were having. <laughs> he looked like ashes and smelled like smoke and, and was just a pathetic mess. And, and he was trying to tell people that my kids took their life, but they had a perfect room. Their beds were always made. Everything was perfect. This culture that our kids are living in is so intense that you and I don't want to grow up in it, but it's so intense that if we don't relieve the pressure somewhere, then it's, it's going to push them to relieve the pressure some way. Are you following me? 48% of kids can be diagnosed by the DSM-5, which is the Diagnostic and Statistics Manual used by psychologists and psychiatrists and counselors. 48%. Depression, anxiety, bipolar, all, all this stuff. It's amazing how it is getting big up here. And we've got to relieve something. And so kids are going, you know what? This God thing is wearing me out. I'm done. Now hear me. I'm not saying that you don't talk to your kids about a relationship with Christ and all that. One, one man made a comment to me yesterday. We we're doing a family in crisis conference and he said, isn't that the number one thing in our lives is, is to make sure that my, it's my job for my, for my child to have a heart for the Lord. That's the number one thing. And that's why I talk about it all the time. And I said, and that is why your son hates you and will never darken the doors of a church. Because you feel like that's more important or he feels like that's more important to you than who he really is. When we put program before the relationship, and we do that, don't we? But I'm not saying that we don't do something. I'm just saying that there's other ways to engage that are, it's going to offer a lot more. 
No one gets respect. And so as a result, you, it, it used to be that, that kids were supposed to respect their elders. They don't do that uh, inherently anymore. It, it happens over a period of time. We've got to win that right to be heard because all they hear is the negative about everybody. Remember the comment that I made this morning about perspective? How many did not hear the comment about perspective? Let, let, me, let me just tell you. Can, can, I te- can I tell them? Can I repeat this? Because it's, we, we were going to a, uh, my daughter wanted to go to a, uh, not my daughter, my granddaughter wanted to go. I've got four grandkids, 17. What did I say this morning? 13. <laughs> seven. And I really don't know how, I, I, I really don't know how old the other one is. She's a little girl. I don't even know where she came from, but, uh, <laughs> but she's a sweetheart. And, uh, but anyway, the two older ones wanted to go see Taylor Swift, and, and, uh, and so I have some connections with her. And, and matter of fact, she's playing in, in uh, Nashville tonight. And, uh, and, and so I, um, I said, well, we'll go, and, and we'll set up a time for you to meet her and all that stuff. And my daughter was in charge of buying the tickets. And so she bought the tickets, and, and they were in the very last row of the arena in Shreveport, Louisiana. And so we were sitting in the very back. And as we walked up there, I was just complaining the whole time about how rotten this is, how miserable it is, how pathetic it is. And the long and short of it was is that I griped so much that my granddaughter was saying, well, Papa, these are great seats. And I'm going, no, they're not. Why are they great seats? Because you can see everything from here. I mean, the back of everyone's head. We were the only people that could see everyone's head except, except ours. We could see that and the plumbing and the lighting and the trash cans up above and, you know, storage places. And it was just kind of one of those, you know, I, I was going, oh, you can see everything. You know, this is so good. I mean, Taylor Swift looked like the size of a peanut, you know, about a million miles away. And then, and then as I said this morning, all of a sudden she is standing right next to me. And she is there coming to the back of the arena. After all my complaining and everything else, she comes to the the back of the arena to sing some songs. And that's why everybody loves her. And then she's gone. My daughter, my granddaughter looks at me and she goes, see, Papa, I told you these were the best seats in the house. You know, and it's something about perspective, that that's one of the roles. It's not just correcting our kids all the time and, and telling them what's right. It's giving them perspective on things in life. And I think that moves from just this information base to something that's a little bit different that, that I would say that, that gives a perspective so that they usher in or we usher in a sense of hope in their life that they go, okay, I get it, I get it. Okay, and I think the other one here is the confusion about genders. I don't even know... I don't even know all the different definitions of everything now. Do you guys? I mean, it's, it's so confusing. Um, but I think there's just a loss of, I think that young men don't know how to become a man and young women, uh, young ladies don't know how to become women. And, uh, and it's difficult. And they live with a sense of constant uncertainty. And I think that causes, that truly causes a... Um, a sense that things aren't important or it's always going to pass or friends are going to leave or people are going to be gone and that's why their concept of suicide isn't as big as we would like for it to be. I know 38 kids that have committed suicide. Um, 
And it's, it's interesting to me how other kids respond to it. Most kids today know what tattoo they're going to get at age 18, and they can tell you how they would commit suicide. Isn't that funny? Not really. Kind of pathetic. But they've been so exposed that now they can, they can kind of determine that with other folks. So I, think, I, I think, just think the culture is somewhat so contrary to what we're doing that it means what we have to do is put together an opportunity to engage with our kids in a different way. And I, wanna, I want you to write down just three circles, if you're writing something down. This is a, this is a circle about relationships here. Relationships, okay? This is structure, rules, and consequences. And this is dealing with the issues. And I just want to lightly touch on I think I talk about it on one of the books. I don't, can't remember which one it is. But as I said, this relationship circle becomes key. If there's three components of the home that you've got to spend time with, that, and somebody goes, well, wait a minute, you didn't mention anything spiritual. This is what I believe about the spiritual influence that I have. I believe that everything that I do is spiritual. I believe it's all about me. If it's Christ in me, then that will be expressed in some way. As I hide God's word in my heart, out of the abundance of my mouth, it will speak truth. And so it will come out. It will influence my actions. It will influence the way I engage with people, the way I treat people, what I, what I want from people. And so it, it, it flavors everything about me. I can't not do anything without Jesus if you're a believer because it affects every part of your life. And so that's not where I'm saying, because I don't like to... to uh, categorize one thing here, one, one, and then our spiritual life over here. Because then it's, oh, well, this is, it's integrated in everything that we're talking about. So this relationship here that I have my, with my kids is hopefully something that I am parenting them the way that God parents me. And I'm engaging with them in such a way that we're building a relationship that somewhere along the line, I want to know from my kids what is it about me, because there's only one person in this room that you can change, what is it about me that I can change to make our relationship better? This is where you perhaps maybe, instead of looking at the speck in somebody else's eye, you look at the log in your own eye. This is where you maybe text your child during the break and say, what is it about me that gets in the way of our relationship. Will you do that? Can I give some homework for the break? Just see what happens. Give it a shot. What is it about me? And if you're going, well, there is nothing about me that is getting in the way because I'm perfect. Well, no wonder your child doesn't want to hang out with you because nobody likes hanging out with perfect people. But the other part of it is, 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 is that is that we're missing it. And this is where you pray that prayer. Lord, search me and know my heart and see if there's any hurtful way in me. And lead me in a different... What am I doing? What am I doing that's keeping a relationship from happening? This is where you take responsibility for who you are. And it may mean somewhere along the line you say, I've been wrong. I don't know about you where you are. Is anybody in this room related to Jim and Tammy Faye Baker? Those guys drove me nuts. My degree is in real estate investments. Isn't that crazy? And with a little bit of law school, just to mess it up. And uh, 
but it was all about real estate law. And I watched them as they built this kingdom called PTL that um, I thought it was a Saturday, when I watched it, I thought it was a Saturday night live skit. I really did. And, 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 and before you turn me off, walk with me through this. I thought those people were pathetic. I just thought, I can't stand people like this. It's a mockery of, of Christianity. And, and we would make fun of it all the time. In, in, in this law class, I was, there was eight of us that were going after this real estate law stuff. We would, we would talk about all the stuff that was happening out there and how it was a Ponzi scheme and they were stealing from Peter to pay Paul and how it was going to crash and, and all, all this stuff. So when he got arrested, they were, he was handcuffed. Do you all remember that? Do you all remember seeing those pictures? He was handcuffed, put in a car, sent off to prison. Inside, I was going, yeah, yeah. And then I see Tammy cry, and I just go, God, what a jerk. It was amazing to me. I was walking through an airport, and there was a book that had been written by Jim Baker. And the title of it was, I Was Wrong. And it changed my view of him like that. When he admitted he was wrong. I mean, now I had a sense of compassion. I, I thought, well, okay, he is like the rest of us. He does make mistakes. He is this and is that. But my criticalness and everything quit. Your kids know what's getting in between the relationship that you're having with them. The issue is whether you'll admit it or not. But I would say the first step in a good relationship with a child is looking at what's causing the difficulty and saying, I want you to know I've been wrong in this. Maybe I've been too controlling. I have, my anger spins out of control. My whatever it is. I don't talk to you. I don't listen. I try to fix everything. I talk too much. I did it. Whatever it is. But this is where you start. Especially for those that are struggling a bit with your kids. You've got to say, what is it about me? You know, well, mom, you tell me what you're going to tell me, then you tell me, then you tell me what you told me. You're always telling me what I'm doing wrong, how I need to do it different, how I can do it better next time. God, can I ever... If you do that to a young man, he will walk away from you. I mean, it's your... Doing that to him. Because as I said, and I joked about it this morning, no man likes to be told they're wrong. Am I right? Of course I'm right. <laughs> See what I mean? I mean, there's a part of it that, that when we do that to young men, they're going to prove their manhood some other way. How does a young man prove his manhood? Think about all the options our kids have. And so there's a part of it that this becomes key. You know, some people are concerned about having a no tech Tuesday, that we're not going to use any kind of technology on Tuesday. Everybody lock up your phones, put them behind barred gates, you know, pour concrete over them, and just for one night, we're not going to use any phones or anything. We're going to sit around the table. Well, I'm going to suggest to you that you have an all-tech Thursday, and that every one of your kids that has a phone, they, all of them, give them a phone, give them all a phone, it doesn't matter, and... Uh, <laughs> Charge it to the church. They have an open account. They'll, uh, they'll take care of it here. Do you have the 
What account should they put that under? Okay, never mind. But you, you tell everybody that there's two rules. Everybody's got to answer every question, and you cannot talk. Okay? I want you to you call everybody at dinner through a group text. Time to eat. Ding, ding, ding. All around the house. They come down. Okay. You type out a prayer. Hit it. Ding, 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 ding. Okay. Can you pass the potatoes and that ding, 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 ding. Can you pass the steak? Ding, 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 ding. What about the mustard? Ding, 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 ding. What's one thing you would change about our family? Ding, 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 ding. Everybody's got to answer. And this is where it's key to, to not jump in there and go, well, yeah, now wait a minute, we're not like that. What are you talking about? You're stupid. You just listen. Remember what I said? The, the issue, this is, we, kids have been listening to us during that first through 12 years. Now it's our time to listen to them. This is where we gave all the answers here in this one through 12. This is where we start asking all the questions. And so it's just a matter of saying, how, what is it? What is it? What is it about us? And let them answer. And then the next one. What would you like to see different about me? And what you're doing is giving them an example of what it is to show humility. I mean, well, you're giving them the opportunity to give you input. And, and none of us in this room can walk on water. Nobody in this room is perfect. So if a child points it out to us, it doesn't mean that they don't love us. They truly love us in spite of that. But sometimes they're hoping that somebody would just say, I was wrong. I've done this. Here is where we talk about rules and consequences. We'll take a break here in just a minute. Rules and consequences. And this becomes important. We're going to talk a little bit more about that later. But you've got to have structure. Rules without relationship causes what? As Josh McDowell would say, rebellion. But relationships without rules causes chaos. I want kids to know, every kid that lives with us knows that I love them. I love them dearly. I'll do anything for them. I tell them all the time, I don't owe you anything, but I want to give you everything. But I love them. And they know it. But in the structure of things, they also know this. I tolerate nothing. This is what they know more. But when it comes to rules and consequences, I tolerate nothing. So as much as I'm a teen advocate and everything else, I don't tolerate anything. So I can have my strength here. The other thing that I've got to take care of are the real issues in a child's life, and that's here. You know, the, the behavior that you see is a visible expression of the invisible issues that are going on in the life of the child. Y your child may be perfect, absolutely perfect, but there is a reason that they're presenting themselves as being perfect. Because all, all behavior is goal-oriented. And it may be that their desire to be perfect is just as wrongly motivated as the other child, on the other hand, that's spinning out of control and making poor choices. They're looking for something, but here's issues that are going on behind a kid's life. And you've got to deal with these issues. It may be that your child needs to go see a counselor. Is anybody here a counselor? 
then you know this. Most counselors are buffoons. Would you say that? Yeah, see? See? They are. They're clueless. It is hard to find a good counselor for your child. That's why I always tell people, if you want to learn about counseling or you know somebody that does, get a hold of that man over there, Kevin Shelby, because he runs the program at Harding and he knows how to train people. He worked for us for a number of years and, and uh, uh, I hate it that he's gone and we've been trying to get him back, but he won't come. And uh, okay, we haven't been trying that hard. But it's important that there be good counselors that aren't motivated by their own selfish means, that aren't selfish needs, that they're not doing it to get value, but they're there to pour into you in some way. And I tell you, the counselors that are the best are the ones that bring you into their community and allow you into their community so that you can engage with them relationally. And that's tough for kids. How do you know that a counselor is good for your child? They want to go back. And they can't wait to go back. Are we going to meet? Are we going to meet? Are we going to meet? And it's interesting to me that, that I don't like those counselors that all they do is give out advice to kids. Kids, when I meet with kids, here's how a counseling session can go. Huh. Wow. Really? Huh. Jeez. Wow. Wow, really? Wow. Mm. Oh. They get up and walk out and go, man, that's the best counseling session I've ever had. <laughs> you know what it is? Somebody's listening to them and not giving them a list to do. They're engaging relationally because kids change because of relationships. They don't change because of rules and all that. They don't change because you give them a good pill to fight depression. They change because of a relationship. Mm -hmm.